take your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. All right, here's the question. We're going to talk today about your conscience. Somebody just said, uh oh. <laughs> We're going to talk about protecting your conscience. Now, does anybody have one? That's about six. That's about average in a crowd this size. Has it ever talked to you? Have you ever listened to it? It's a good idea. Good idea. We're going to talk about the conscience. We're going to talk about protecting your conscience. You need to do this. All righty. We're going to talk about what a conscience is. The scripture talks about the conscience is something God gave you. He put it inside of you for a purpose. And a lot of people think that a conscience is just, as many counselors have said, that a conscience is just religious training. No, God put that in there. He gave it to you and he gave it to you for a purpose. And the Bible is very clear about the purpose of the conscience. And it's in Romans chapter two. Perhaps you've never seen this before. We want to look at two verses that tell us what our conscience is. Romans 2, 14, Romans 2, 14. For when Gentiles, a Gentile in this reference is anybody that doesn't know God. Now, sometimes Gentiles is, is geographic, but in this reference in the Bible, when you talk about Gentiles, you're talking about people that don't know God. So when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts. Got it? When a person who doesn't have the law lives out what's written in the law, he's showing you that that law is written in his heart. All right, let's say to know what is the law? It can be called the word of God, the truth of God, the way of God, the way to live that God gives us to live. Let's say it this way. When a person who has never had a Bible lives out what's written in the Bible, he's revealing that the Bible has been put in his heart. Do you understand that when you were born, your creator put his word in your heart? A lot of people say, I've never read a Bible in my life. It's in your heart. Roman, excuse me, uh, Hebrews 8.10 says this, I will write my law in their hearts. Every person that's born, your creator wrote his law in your heart. The same law that's the way of life that's written in this book is in your heart. I'll give you an example. For instance, down on the Amazon where we just finished a new church down there in that primitive, primitive place. Here's a man who has never heard of Jesus in his life. He's never seen a Bible. He's never heard of God. But, but he, if something inside of here says, says to him, it is not right to murder people. So he doesn't murder people and he doesn't kill people. You say, why not? Because something inside of him says it's wrong. What is that? That's the law of God or the conscience. Here's a woman. She's never, she'd never, she doesn't believe in God. She doesn't believe in that Bible stuff. She didn't believe in that hocus pocus. She knows good and well, there's no God. Everything there is came out of an explosion. We all evolved from a slug. She didn't believe in all that God stuff. She has a baby. That baby ain't ever done nothing for her. Stretch her body out, keep her up at night, stink her house up. Amen or oh me? But she would lay down her life for that child. She loves that child. Guess why? So she's a mama. That is the law of God written in her heart. I mean, that's in the Bible. But it's also written in her heart, even though she don't believe in God. The law of God is written inside of you when you're born. And it's in there. All right, let's read verse 15. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their what? Conscience. Your conscience is something God placed in you. And what that conscience inside of you says is the same thing this book says. It is the law of God written in your heart. Have you ever... Uh, you ever just talked hateful to somebody in a moment of anger and something down here bothered you? That was your conscience. That was the law of God written in your heart saying, we do not live like this. This is not the way we live right here. And that conscience is in there. Now, what does your conscience do to you? Let's read verse 15 again. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also, watch these words, bearing witness. What does it mean that you, you know what witness is, don't you? That's when somebody talks to you. Does your conscience talk to you? Guess what he's bearing witness of? He's talking to you about the law of God. For instance, you're, you're hateful to somebody and he bothers you. He just spoke to you and said, we do not live like this. We don't act like this. And your conscience will talk to you. It'll bear witness of the law of God and it'll do one of two things to you according to verse 15. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts. It's there. 
their conscience bearing witness between them, their thoughts, accusing or excusing them. Your conscience can do one of two things. He can accuse you. He can excuse you. For instance, I, I, my neighbor buys a new Corvette. I'm a Corvette fan. I'm not that big a fan of them or I'd have one. But I'm a Corvette fan. My neighbor buys one. And I think, I've always wanted one. I'll just go steal it. <laughs> Something inside of me says, thou shalt not steal thy neighbor's Corvette. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't speak to you. I just know right here that's not right. My conscience, when I was thinking about stealing it, he accused me. Let's say it this way. He bothered me. He bothered me. Or if I'm thinking about buying my wife some flowers, y'all revive her. Y'all revive her over there. So buying her some flowers and something inside of me gets this sweet feeling. Guess what? My conscience is excusing me or saying, now this is how we live. There's a parallel verse in the book of Colossians that says the same thing. Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. And I decide I see somebody that's needy and I'm going to reach in my pocket and take out the money and give it to them. And I get a good feeling right here. Guess what that is? That's my conscious saying, this is the way we live right here. Your conscious will either accuse you when you head in the wrong direction or it'll encourage you when you head in the right direction. That is the law of God written in your heart. It's called a conscience. One of the greatest things God ever gave you is your conscience. So that's what the Bible teaches about our conscience. We've got to protect it. All right. You say, now, now listen to me. A lot of people wish they didn't have one because their conscience bothers them. All right, listen to me carefully. Why was your conscience given to you? Why did he give it to you? All right, we've got to go back to scriptures. For instance, if I were to dare begin to speak ugly to my wife, something inside of me would say, mm, mm. you're going to be cold tonight. No, more than that, something inside of me would say, this is not the way Jesus treats his church his bride. And this is not the way you're going to treat yours either. Something inside of me would bother me. Well, what if I don't like my conscience bothering me? Why don't I just get rid of it? No, no, no. Why was my conscience given? Why was the law of God given? Live in my law, follow my law. Listen to this, that it might be well with you in the land, which the Lord, your God has given you with you and your children. My conscience was given to lead me into the best life possible on this fallen earth. Your conscience, listen, don't be mad at your conscience. It's a good thing. You said, man, I did this the other day and it just bothered me. Thank God. Thank God it did. That's leading you into the best life. It's keeping you out of the mess. Amen. Amen. When you pick up rat poison and you're fixing to eat it, don't you wish somebody said, I wouldn't eat that if I was you. <laughs> That's your conscience's purpose is to keep you from eating poison that it might be well with you. You say, well, Brother Ryan, <clears throat> I see, it, I see it in the Bible. Listen, everybody's got it. I see it in the Bible. Brother Brian, I know some folks that don't have one. How many of you have met, seen folks that have no conscience? So what happened to them? Did God forget to put it in? No, no, no. He put it in. What happened to it? They destroyed it. You can destroy your conscience. That's why you have to take care of it. Listen, this thing is life. And if you destroy your conscience, you're in trouble. How do we, how do we, let me, let me show you that. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. The Bible says this. Can a woman forget her nursing child? It's just not natural for a woman to have a child and just turn her back on that child. Amen. That's not right. God put the care of a child in a mother's heart. And the Bible said, can a woman forget her nursing child? What's the answer? Yes, I've seen it happen. I've seen women just abandon their children, little children, just walk off from them. You say, Brother Brian, where's their conscience? It was destroyed. I've seen men talk to their wives like a dog. No man should speak to his wife like that. You know why they can do that? Their conscience has been defiled. It doesn't bother them anymore. You've seen people do things that just were wrong. And you say, how can you do that? Their conscience was destroyed. Watch what the Bible says about a destroyed conscience in Ephesians 4, 17. Right, he's speaking to me and you. Ephesians 4, 17. This I say, therefore, and testify to you. It means preach in the Lord that you should no longer walk. What's the word walk, walk mean? Live. Don't live like this. Don't live as the rest of the Gentiles live in the futility or the darkness of their mind having their understanding darkened, 
they are alienated, cut off from the life of God because of the ignorance and the blindness. What does it mean to be dark and cut off from the life of God? Look in verse 19. Who being, what's these words? Past feeling. See the word past feeling means you can't feel anymore. The, the Greek word that we get the word past feeling for is the word cauterized. We get our word cauterized from it. You know what cauterized means? It's when you burn something so bad it has no feeling anymore. And maybe no feeling is a good thing. All right, one time our, my sweetheart, she's fixed lunch for a bunch of kids and we got all these kids over here and we're getting everything ready for lunch and she's got them all out there. And so I'm coming in and I thought, Lord, let me pray before we have lunch here. And I walked up there at the counter and I said, uh, got ready and I said, uh, Dear Lord Jesus, I was going to put my hands down on the counter, but I forgot where I was at and I put my hands down on the stovetop. And I said, Dear Lord, ah! Well, they just knew Daddy's fixing to have one of them Holy Ghost spells and he's going to pray for an hour and our, our food's going to get cold. No, it wasn't a Holy Ghost spell. That hurt. I felt the pain because my hands are alive. My hands have got feeling. But see, I've had friends who had diabetes. They lost the feeling in their hands. Their hands were cauterized. You lose the feeling. What does the Bible say here? That people can become what? Past feeling. Let me read it to you from another version. Verse 19, who have lost all sensitivity. Let me read it from another version. Whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. You can destroy your conscience to where you don't, nothing bothers you anymore. You don't feel anything anymore. Dead on the inside. Listen, that's a dangerous place to be. And uh, how do you destroy your conscience? You have to do it slowly. You do it one step at a time. And we're seeing this happen in our land right now. I want you to look how you destroy your conscience. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter three. This is where the Bible tells us how conscience becomes destroyed in a person or in a land. Hebrews chapter three, and then we're gonna make personal application here. I'm meeting 15 16-year-old teenage boys today whose hearts are as hard as a rock. They have no respect. They have no, they don't value life anymore. They weren't born like that. They were born with the law of God written in their hearts, every person. How'd they get like that? Something has hardened their hearts so hard or defiled their conscience. All right, the scripture teaches this in Hebrews 3 verse 13. Exhort one another daily. Hebrews 2.13. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be what? Hardened. Now, how do we get hardened? Through the deceitfulness of sin. Can you see there that you can harden your heart like a rock or destroy your conscience through what? Sin destroys the heart. Right, let me see if you don't agree with what I'm fixing to say. You're, you ever been in a situation where if you'd have told the truth, you'd have gotten in trouble? Might have been a big thing. Might have been a small thing. But have you ever been where if you'd have told the truth, you'd have gotten in trouble? And so you, this, little temp, this thought came to you. Just tell a little lie to keep from creating a mess. So you, you chose, I'm, I'm just going to lie a little bit to keep everybody happy or to keep me out of trouble. So you tell a lie to keep yourself out of trouble and it kept you out of trouble. But, but, as you walked off, something bothered you right here. You said, man, I know I kept myself. Something bothered you. That was your conscience. That was the law of God written in your heart saying, this is not right. All right, a few days later, a few weeks later, whatever, you got in another situation where you were tempted to tell a lie to keep from getting in trouble or whatever. And you did it again. And it kept you out of trouble. And it bothered you this time, but not as much as it did the first time. You did it the fourth time. It didn't bother you as much as the second time. And on about the 16th time you told a lie, it didn't bother you at all. On the 55th time, you got to where you're pretty good at it. On the 80th time, you were looking for something to lie about. You know what that's called? That's how you become hardened through practiced sin. You do something wrong over and over and over. And every time you do it, it knocks a little chip off your heart and it, or puts a callus over it. And then you reach a place where I've met people, they lie when they don't need to. I've met people cannot stop lying. You know what? Their heart is dead. They have what? Given themselves over or they've cauterized and destroyed. Their, they don't have a conscience anymore in that area. Do you understand how we slowly chip away at our hearts and our hearts become dead 
through the deceitfulness of sin, we kill them. All right, here's a man. He's married, got a pretty little wife, and they just love each other, got a great life going on. <clears throat> He's at work one day, and something comes up on the computer screen, screen that he has no business looking at. Maybe it's a pornographic type image. And he stares at it and he knows, he knows he shouldn't look at that. Can I get a witness? Something inside of you should say, you got no business looking at. Now, some people would say, if he's married, I would say whether you're married or not. That's somebody's daughter. Have our hearts become so hard in this nation, we don't realize that is somebody's daughter. But he looks at it anyway and it, he, it, it, he enjoys it but something bothers him right here. Get it? And he, he goes home, I shouldn't, it bothers him. That's his conscience. That is the law of God written in his heart. You say, oh, that's terrible. That's wonderful. That's what's going to give that man a great life if he'll listen to it. A few weeks later, a few days later, it happens again. He looks again. Second time, it doesn't bother him quite as bad. Eighth time, it doesn't hardly bother him at all. Sixteenth time, he's looking for it. You understand what's happening here? He is cauterizing his heart. He is destroying his conscience bit by bit. I've got a dear friend of mine. We grew up together, went to high school together. He was an executive in NASCAR. He was a deacon in the Baptist church. He's serving 30 years in prison for just horrible things with young girls, little girls. And I went to see him and I talked to him. He said, if you'd have told me five years ago I'd have done this, I would have hit you. I said, where'd it start? He said, where does it always start? Television leads to movies, which leads to got to have a little bit more, which leads to got to have a little bit. He said, my heart so bothered me, but I reached a place nothing bothered me. You know what that is? Their conscience are defiled. We, we destroy the law of God written in our hearts. And uh, can you see how you got to, that's why you got to protect your conscience. Destroy your conscience, you destroy your life. You, you speak ugly to your mate. You're a little sharp with your mate or your family or something and it bothers you a little bit. You keep doing that, you'll be able to just talk to your wife like a dog. It won't bother you at all because you destroy your conscience. That's how the Bible teaches that we defile and destroy our consciences and lose all sensitivity. It's slowly that we do that. And you say, well, man, good. Get them old, get them old inhibitions out of the way so we can live. Are you sure about that? That's how we kill our conscience. All right, number three. What happens when your conscience is destroyed? What happens when you've defiled your conscience? Nothing bothers you anymore. Amen. You become free. We can live free then. You think so? Listen to what I'm fixing to say about your conscience. When you reach the day to where nothing bothers you anymore, that will also be the day nothing can excite you anymore. Because the same conscience that bothers you for what's wrong is what gives you joy in life for what's right. It's your heart. When your heart dies, nothing bothers you anymore, but nothing's good anymore. And then you're a walking dead man. You just poke through life. And uh, there's no joy, there's no excitement in life. We're reaching that place as a nation. I'm amazed when I go out in public to see how dead people live, how heavy they look. You see, Brother Brian, it's the burdens of life. It is a defiled conscience. Let me tell you what normal is for life, for a believer. Here's normal. You know what normal, you know what normal is? Abby normal. You know what normal is? <laughs> The Bible tells us, I maybe know the Bible is where we find out what normal is. Have you ever met them people that are just religious fanatics? We got them here. You ever met them? They just holler and scream. They're excited and foam at the mouth and do cartwheels. And you just can't, you just think, oh, give me some relief. I, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yeah, they're weird. They're normal. I think they are. Who's going to decide this issue? All right, let me tell you what normal is. Psalm 18, don't look it up. Psalm 118, 24. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The sun came up this morning. It was beautiful. I got up and said, I'm the world's most blessed man. I get to be alive today. I got oatmeal, but outside that's a good day. I got oatmeal to eat. I'm healthy. I got the greatest family in the world. I got a woman who loves me. I got beautiful children. I got a great church. I got to work today, but that's not that bad. This is the day the Lord has made. You know what that is? That's a, that's a living, live, tender conscience that can still feel. That's normal. But if I keep playing games and defile that conscience, it begins, it becomes a, oh, just another day. Kill your conscience, kill your life. The same conscience that bothers you is the one that gives you life. 
and, and we, get, we get plowed in this thing. We lose the beauty of life. Not only that, let me point something out to you. If I get that old conscience out of the way so I can do what I want to do and I'm finally do what I want to do, guess what happens after you do what you want to do for a few times? You find out that what excited you so much to start with will enslave you after about eight times. I was talking to a prostitute one time. I've talked to her, just sat down and had long conversations. I, I love these girls. I, I don't put them people down. I love them. And I talked to them. Usually, the, you know, they're, they're, most that I've met, it started out by abuse as a child. And uh, a lot of people think, be, you know, prostitute, man, be great. Have all the sex you want to anytime you want to. Yeah. But my conscience would bother me. Oh, stupid conscience. I've asked every single one of them, every time I talk to them, do you enjoy sex? Guess what? Every one of them say, I hate it. And that which was so exciting ended up being slavery to them. Bonds and miserable on the inside. And, and the Bible says in 2 Peter 2, 19, see if you've ever heard this. Those who, delight, those who defile and lie, promise them freedom, but give them bondage. See, we want, to be, we want to throw off these old rules and get these rules out of here so we can do what we want to do. Are you sure about that? What if you throw off those rules and find out you're in bondage to your appetites? and your, your base lusts. And guess what happens if you get in bondage to your appetites? You're one miserable human being. And then the devil will get in here and say, blame them. Then nobody can mess your life up except you. Uh, that was good right there. Then nobody can mess your life up except you. It, listen, this freedom that we promised people during the sexual revolution, the 60s, 70s, it is not working out as good as we thought it should. All right, when you defile your conscience, that's what happens to us. And what happens to a, think about this, what happens to a culture that begins to destroy the conscience of its people? It becomes a slow downward spiral. That y'all gonna think, you young people gonna think this is crazy. I was alive. This might've been right around the time the Model T was built. I was alive several years ago when the first curse word was ever spoken in a motion picture. I was a young man when that happened. You say, God, was it like, did y'all show it on the cave wall or what? <laughs> Back then. <laughs> Hadn't been that long ago, dear ones. You remember, what's the name of the movie? Gone with the Wind. First time a curse word was ever spoken. And he used a word in that movie that was a curse word. I remember this nation recoiled. I mean, there, was, there were protests. Burn the, wanted to burn the studio down, marched in the streets. You say, what kind of society did you live in? One that had a conscience. One that could still be bothered by things that were wrong. Could you imagine that today? What happens if you lift your voice against the entertainment industry today and their filth? <laughs> Censorship. It's called life. It's called life. All righty, let's work on this. How do we protect your conscience? I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want to live? Good. Got four of you want to live. Do you want to live? Do you want to just exist and breathe and eat food? Or do you want to have a life? Do you want to really live? Do you realize that God in the Bible one day, I'm reading this, you get the point, and God asked people, do you want to really live and enjoy your life? Why would he ask people that? Because apparently we have a choice. Look at it with me. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3 where God asked people, do you want to live or not? Do you want to live? 1 Peter, you look with me. It's in chapter 3. You know, if somebody came up to me and asked me, would you like to have a great life? My answer would be yes. Especially at my age, since I don't have a lot of it left. I've made up my mind. I'm going to do all the living I can before I croak and go to glory. I'm not going to poke through the days and just get by. I want to live. I, whatever I was created to enjoy, I want to enjoy it. And the Bible tells you how to do it. And the Bible says this, your conscience is the secret to a great life. Let's read it. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3, 10 says this. Look at these words. He who would love life and see good days. Let's just pause right there. Anybody game? Yeah. How many of you would like to love your life and see good days? That's the reason you're here this morning. That's the reason everybody, everybody's looking for something in life. That's the reason you, girls get married, I think. <laughs> Surprise. Why do people do what, tell me why people do what they do. Isn't that the answer right there? People want to love their lives, love their days and see good, people want good, they want a good life. 
All right, I want you to read this with me. Let's read it again. First Peter chapter three, verse 10. He who would love life and see good days, shut your mouth. What does it say? Refrain your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Isn't it amazing that the first thing he said was about a great life is learning when not to speak. Okay, that didn't do any good. Let's move on. Let's move on. Nobody like that. Watch verse 11. Turn away from evil. You want a good life? So, whoa, 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 brother Brown, I thought that to get it, get all into evil would be a good life. What did God Almighty just ask you? Do you want a good life? Turn away from evil. Tell me what your conscience's job is to turn you away from evil. I, I'm, I, my wife does something I don't like. Well, she, I mean, she, everything she does, I like. But if she were to do something I didn't like, and all of a sudden I thought, and I'm going to speak stern to her, ugly to her, something inside of me is going to say, something's going to bother me. You know what he's doing? He's trying to turn me away from evil so I can enjoy my life. God gave you your conscience to keep you on the road to a great life. Why would you kick that out? How many of you know this? This is good stuff. I'm going to buy a gun one time from a fellow that goes to our church, had a gun shop. And uh, he showed me this guy. I said, that's what I want right there. He said, well, it comes in two models. I said, what's the two models? He said, well, it's with the safety and without the safety. He said, which one you want? I said, uh, he said, preacher, look at me. Listen to this word, safety. <laughs> safe, preacher, safe. Which one do you want? Do you want the safety? I said, give me the one with the safety. That's a good idea. <laughs> he said, well, safety might slow you down shooting. <laughs> yeah. The safety might keep my feet on me. I may even know safe is good. Your conscience is the safety of your life. If you're going to choose a model, take the one with the safety. Don't throw your conscience away. It is the secret to a good life. If, if we just listen to it, listen to your conscience. All right. Our culture today is the enemy of conscience. Led by the entertainment industry. To defile the country. You say, oh, you're one of them. Yes, I am. And I'm having a great life and I'm going to keep being one of them. I'm one of them. I'm not stuck. I've been accused of being stuck in the 50s. You're wrong. I'm stuck in 33 AD when that book was written to give life. Now, dear ones, our culture has become the enemy of conscience. Everybody's doing it. Look up here. No, they're not. A lot of people got a great life going on by deciding to follow Jesus instead of the road that people are on today. All righty. Let me tell you what you need to do. Turn me to Proverbs chapter four. Let's, let's look at this. Proverbs chapter four. How do we do this? See what you hear right here. All right, my teenage daughters, my teenage son, they all started driving at 16 years in one day. I gave them the keys. They wanted to drive by themselves. They didn't have, they thought it'd be more fun to drive without daddy than to drive with daddy. You understand that. I was the same way. I handed them the keys and then I, I gave them the keys, gave them the freedom, and then I ruined everything. I ruined it by saying, be careful. Be careful. They went, crap, just keep the keys if I have to be careful. I just gave them back. What do you, <laughs> no, no, no. Now, why did I, because you know, why did I mess their lives up? You said, well, you, you're just a, you're the, you're a fun sucker. You didn't want them to have any fun. Do you really think I said, be careful out there because I didn't want them to have fun? How many of y'all think I don't want them to have fun? I'm at home with your mom tonight. I ain't having no fun. You ain't having no fun. <laughs> How many of you think I want them to be careful? I bought my daughter a car. It had four cylinders. She didn't need eight. Four. Amen. I started out with a Hemi supercharged back in the 1970s. That's dumb for a 16 year old. Guess why I told them to be safe. I love my children and I want them to make, I want them to come home. Is this deep? Why am I having to go over this stuff? When God says, enjoy your life here, take this conscious with you. Crap. Why did he give you a conscious? He loves you. He wants you to live. He loves your family. He cares about you. That conscience is your life. Well, that's why the Bible said, and he said, that. that's what he said right here in Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. Keep your heart or guard your heart with all diligence. What does that mean? Protect your conscience. What does protect mean? Guard, keep, guard that heart. What does diligence mean? 
Be a fanatic about it. Protect your conscience with all heart, with all diligence. And here's the reason. Read the rest of the verse. Out of it spring the issues of life. Destroy your conscience, destroy your life. Protect your conscience, you can have a life. You can have a great life. How many people have I sat, how many people have I sat with who through tears told me I destroyed my family? And God was speaking to me right here and I wouldn't listen. You should have guarded your heart. The issues of life would have come out of it. And that's why the Bible tells us to protect our hearts and to pay attention to it. Now, how do, how do I guard my heart? This is not hard. How do I guard my heart? Honor it. Honor your heart. Listen to it. Let me make an announcement. If I try to talk to you and I, I say, hey, how you doing? Good. So I try to talk to you and you keep turning your back on me, ignoring me. After about the eighth time, I'm going to quit talking to you. Am I over your head here? Be rude to me. I'll walk off eventually. I might try two or three times. I'm eventually going to walk off. You keep telling your conscience to shut up. It will do it. You keep ignoring your conscience. It will get quiet. You, you protect your conscience by honoring it. When somebody's doing something and, and you, you're tempted to do it and something bothers you, say, I'm not going to do that. That's how you guard your heart. When you, when you say something to somebody and your conscience bothers you, tell them, I am sorry. I am sorry. Make it right. And then don't do that anymore. Is this deep or what? Protect your heart. Keep it. What, what's another word for it? Keep it tender. Keep your heart soft by listening to it and paying attention to it. One of the great preachers in our nation years ago he was in the Navy. And as soon as he discharged from the Navy, I mean, he walked right out of the discharge station, New York City. He walks out on the street and a prostitute comes up to him and, and, and offers to, you know, sort of proposition him. And he stood and looked. He just began to weep. But you say, what kind of man is he? That's a man who has a heart. And she was so convicted by his weeping, she began to weep. Thinks Charles Finney. And then she got saved. Why are we laughing at stuff we ought to be weeping over in this nation? It's not because we're sophisticated. It's because our hearts have become so hard. We are hardened. And the stuff that we used to weep over now, we laugh about. What we used to raise Cain over, we entertain ourselves with now. All right, you got to protect your heart. And let me, for those of you that are parents, listen to me. You do not have to raise your kids like this society tells them to raise them. Don't throw your kids to the dogs. We decided when our kids were young that we were going to be weirdos. Oddballs. Stuck in the 50s. Puritans. Call me whatever you want to call me, but I want to make an announcement. I got three grown children and they are very happy, healthy, successful people. Our kids are some of the happiest kids I've ever met. You know why? I'm convinced it goes back to the way they were raised. We didn't have the junk in our houses a lot of people had. Yes, I have, Brother Brian, everybody does it. I'm not responsible for everybody. As for me and my house, we're going to stay there. And I want to make an announcement. You say you missed a lot. Oh, really? You think I missed something? Let me make an announcement. So far, so good. We're having a blast. The garbage that people play in music wasn't played in our house. Not going to have it. If it breaks the Ten Commandments or encourages it, not in this house. God, it must have been a terrible place to grow up. Ask them. The stuff played on TV, we're not going to have Video games? Somebody asked me about video games. Video games? When they start serving peach tea in hell, we'll see how that goes. So you don't think young men ought to watch, play video games? What did you just ask me? What did you just ask me? Did you just ask me if people should stare at murder, violence, filth, stealing? You just asked me if young men should stare at that? Let me answer you. Old men shouldn't stare at it. I've had people say, well, Brother Brian, this is not appropriate for children. <laughs> Let me make an announcement. Then it's not appropriate for me either. Amen. What do you think Jesus meant when he said, unless you become like a little child? Listen to me, dear ones. We have lost our childlike joy and wonder in life because we've damaged our hearts. First service the other day, I'm walking across the parking lot over there and several adults came out and said, hey, pastor. Hey, pastor. How you doing? I said, good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Hey, pastor. Good to see you. How you doing? Good to see you. Because we dignified. That's the pastor. About halfway across, I heard a voice across the parking lot. Preacher! Preacher! Little boy came run over and hugged me. Look, 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 look. He was so excited about something he had. Would that we could be like that again. He said, well, that's a child. That is a tender conscience. 
That's, a t- that's the tender heart we have lost by cauterizing what God put in us to make life wonderful. Let me make an announcement. You should be excited about life. Since this is the only one you get, and this ain't no dress rehearsal. Oh, we need to get back to the joy of life. Protect you. I just want to make an announcement. It's okay to protect your kids. You said, Brother Brian, and by the way, protect yourself too. We just decided, man, if it's not, it's not right for them, it's not right for us. And I want to make an announcement. I'm an old man now. And I'm having a blast. I went to bed and slept like a baby last night. I do not have to get tested this week for sexually transmitted diseases. You know why? I've been practicing same sex with the same woman for 38 years. We're going to go for 38 more if she can keep up. We're not going to quit now. Listen to me. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end result is death. God said to me, obey my law that it might be well with you. You want to live? Guard your heart. Listen to that thing. Now, somebody in here just said, it's too late for me. It's too late. I've done things I never should have done. I let it get too far. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something about some cold, dead, burned, angry, filthy hearts. He can make them like a little child again. I want to show you one of the greatest verses in the Bible before we quit. Turn with me to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, turn to the right. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. 36. This is one of the greatest, greatest verses in the Bible. This is one of the greatest truths there is. And everybody needs to have this happen. Ezekiel 36. Wouldn't it be great if this would happen right here? All right, you got Ezekiel 36. I'm going to throw in one for free before we get to the main one. Ezekiel 36, 25. Ezekiel 36, 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your filthiness, all your idols. Let's read verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Now watch these words. I will take the heart of stone out. You ever met anybody like that? What does it mean, heart of stone? Hard, cold, I mean dangerous heart. Wounded heart. What did the Bible say? What did he say he'd do? I'll take that heart out. And what will he replace it with? Read the rest of it. And I will give you a tender heart. Some Bibles say a heart of flesh. Simply means a tender heart. What if God Almighty were to come to those defiled, horrible hearts, work a miracle on the inside, and make them, as one of the great songs written by Steve Green says, make us like a child who has never known pain. Believe he can do it. My buddy Randy Robinson, who we partnered with, was interviewing a lady the other day, and I heard about her since she was, she, she was a prostitute for you. She was a, I mean, a high, uh, I don't know what you call it, because I'm not familiar with that line of work. But a, sort of a high-end prostitute, I guess. I mean, she was with high-dollar executives in New York, stuff like that. And uh, I thought, well, I'd be interested. I want to hear what Randy, Randy talks to her about. Got her on there. She was one of the most beautiful women. She's about 35 years old, one of the most beautiful women. And to look at her, you think she had never said a curse word in her life. She was that innocent and that beautiful. And God had restored her life, and she had such dignity. And there was a joy about her and a beauty. And she said, there was a time I kept drugs. I took drugs to keep from hating myself and killing myself. She didn't get straightened out. God took her heart out and put a new one in there. This is the good news of the gospel. Even if you defile your heart, he can start it over. I'll quit by telling you about the greatest change I ever saw in my life. Greatest man I ever saw change. Some of you met him. A man named Russ Clear. You might remember Russ. We had Russ at our church years ago. Russ is dead and he died a couple years ago of cancer. Russ Clear was raised like an animal. Had one of the most horrible childhoods. He was raised in California. He was raised like an animal. Uh, no dad. Mama was on drugs, doing her thing. He just, and somehow he fell through the cracks of social services. So he just did what he could. He ate out of garbage cans, slept where he said, I'd lay down behind a building sometimes at night as a 10-year-old child and said I'd wake up and rats would be biting on me. And I'd just move somewhere else and lay down. And he just had a horrible life. And because of that life, he grew up so hard. His heart was so hard and it was so evil, but he was a huge man, great big man. And he, he began to get into uh, weightlifting competition. 
And he became so evil and he joined the hell's angels as a 20 some year old man. And he said, my heart became so hard. I was so evil. Plus I was demonized. He said, I had no concern for anybody. He said, I could shoot you. Pistol in one hand, sandwich in the other and keep eating while you died. I didn't care about anybody or anything. And he, his heart was like a rock. And the problem is you take a guy like that's a hell's angel that mean. And at one time when he was younger, he could bench lift, he could bench press 700 pounds. I mean, that's, that's big for anybody. So that makes him a monster, a demonized monster. And of course, he got in trouble all the time and it's just murder and mayhem. He was arrested. He was sent to San Quentin prison. He was locked up in San Quentin. And he said, I was so demonized and so crazy and, and dangerous. He was listed as the nation's most dangerous prisoner by the Bureau of Prisons. And he said, guards had come to move me and take six or seven of them. They'd throw a tarp over me, put a leather mask on my head and move me to keep me from biting the guards. Because, you know, a man that big is hard to handle him. And he said, I was just crazy. Kept him in solitary confinement. And he said, but my soul was so tormented by demons. And I hated me. I hated everybody. And I wanted to kill anything I could. I mean, he was, he was a lost cause. He said, I was sitting in my cell one night just quiet. And he said, I heard footsteps coming down the hall and I knew it must be a guard. He said, I didn't have bars. I had a steel door with a peephole. I couldn't see anything out of there. And he said, those footsteps stopped at my door and something slid under the door. And then I heard the steps walk off. And he said, I looked down and it was a little book. He'd never seen a Bible in his life. Never even knew one existed. He said, I picked this book up. It was a New Testament. And he said, I just opened it and my eyes fell on the words. First words I ever saw, love your enemies. He said, that's what I saw. And he said, I thought, I don't love anybody. How could you love your enemies? And said, when I said that, he said, I can't explain this, but said something just came in that room like a wind and said something just filled that room and hit me. He said, I never heard a word, but something just came over me and I cannot describe it. But he said, I felt it start up here and just come down. I've heard this testimony before, just come right down through me and said, all of the hatred, all the demonic, all the pain left me. And all of a sudden it was like, I woke up a brand new man said, I, I was just, I just sat there and realized something has happened to you. I didn't even know his name. I mean, if you know, you don't have to know something when Jesus touches you, we'll figure that out later. But he said, I knew it had something to do with this book right here. That when I read this book, something happened to me. And he said, the guards came the next day to do something. And I just told him, you, you won't need that anymore. And he said, they, they didn't trust me for a while, but afterwards they look at me funny. And finally they put me out in general population. I began to gather the guys around and said, let's find out about this book. And Russ began to follow Jesus. God just absolutely took one of the most evil hearts out of him, changed him from the inside. That man would have killed you and, and not thought anything about it. And how many times did I, I've sat with Russ before and had him say to me, we need to pray for these kids and these, and watch tears run down his face as he wept over young people that are struggling with problems today. His heart was so tender and he spent the rest of his life trying to help teenagers and young kids. Explain that. That's the power of God. What did the Bible say? I will take the hard heart out of you and I will put a tender heart in you. He's the most dramatic change I've ever seen. He can do that for anybody. He'll change anybody. We had Russ at church, not uh, spent several years back and he was going to be here for a Sunday morning and he was known, he was famous for just breaking handcuffs. He just put them on, he just, he just break them loose like that. And he said to me, he said, you know, he said, I'm, I'm getting accused of breaking these little toy store handcuffs. He said, they're not. He said, they're real. He said, matter of fact, I want you to bring them. He said, you bring the handcuffs. I'm going to break them after I talk. And he said, you bring the handcuffs. And he said, get them from the sheriff's department and you tell them you got them. I don't know about thinking I'm breaking them toy store handcuffs. I said, don't get excited. So I brought the handcuffs. I got them from the sheriff's department. Now, he said, I put them on me. He said, I want you to tape my wrists up. He said, I can break them, but said it hurts. You know, it just hurt and cuts your flesh back here when I do. I said, yeah, it does mine that way too. I said, we'll, we'll wrap them up there. <laughs> so I wrapped his wrist with athletic tape and he walked out. You remember he had on an orange jumpsuit from the jail, had on them handcuffs and he talked about being in bondage to hell and the darkness. And then he got to end and told about what God had done in his life. And he just, he just went like that and broke, just broke them in half as a picture that I don't care how, what kind of hellish, hateful, cold-hearted bondage you're in. That's the good news of the gospel. God don't beat you up because your heart is cold. He heals your heart. He don't criticize you because you've got yourself in a mess. He changes you from the inside out and gives you a new heart like a little child and transfers us from the darkness into the light. That's what you need.
Then was listening to me. Guard your heart. Let them laugh. You live. Get off the beaten path with your family. You live. But if your heart is scarred and destroyed, come to Jesus and bow your knee and let him heal it. And there'll be even times in this life, if you're trying to follow Jesus, you'll do things. And you'll miss it. Let me tell you something. You go get a quiet place and you let him fix your heart. But whatever you do, do not destroy your conscience. One of the, the greatest thing I've got going for me is that conscience. Can I give you an example? I know this don't happen to y'all because you're not a preacher. And I was young. This was a long time ago. You know, preachers always throw stuff off by saying this was a long time ago. I'm a young man trying to learn how to live because I didn't know this stuff. And uh, married and my sweetheart would do something and I'd speak a little sharp to her and I shouldn't do it. And she's very tender hearted. She always has been because she just, she grew up like this. She's always lived like this. And I'd say something and I could tell it bothered her and it bothered me right here. And I'd just go on because, you know, (laughs) John Wayne don't apologize to nobody. (laughs) That's nonsense. And then all, you know, a few hours later, I'd go out in my little office and I would say, Lord, I got to get ready to preach. Speak, Lord, thy servant listens. Speak, Lord, thy servant listens. You over here? Silence, dead silence. And uh, I need to speak the word of God into people's lives. You know, the only thing he was interested in, I'm fixing to speak, son. And you're going to march yourself right back in that house and you're going to make it right. I'll never speak to you again. I'll be right back. I thank God for this conscience. I'm 62 years old. Things that don't bother 14-year-olds tear me up. I'm glad. I've had people mock, say, grown men that cry. I do. It means you still got a heart. It means you can still be afflicted by things that you need to be afflicted by. It means you can live. You take care of your heart. Lord Jesus, I praise you and thank you so much. You, what else could you do? You gave us a book that leads to life. You gave us a book that leads to great families. You gave us a book that leads to great joy. If that's not enough, if we wouldn't read it, you put it in our hearts. And you have written your law in our hearts so we could have life. And we could be life to people. You've done everything you could to help us have the greatest life possible. And while we keep sticking our hands back in the coconut shell, dear Jesus, I want to pray for everybody in this room today that we would thank you for that troubled heart and, and realize how precious is the conscience that keeps us from making great mistakes and ruining things. And, and in Jesus' name, this, this American attitude of get that thing out of the way so you can, oh Lord Jesus, give us an attitude of protect your heart so you can live. And I want to pray for families, moms and dads trying to raise families. I'd run a rod up their spine and say to them, you do not have to give in to this sick culture. You follow my word and you cherish your children. You protect those kids. It's not the real world. It's the evil world. Protect them from it. And if they laugh, let them laugh. You live. And now, Father, I want to pray for those in this room that something happened and they made a right turn when they should have made a straight line. I pray in Jesus' name for the hard hearts in this room that they just bow themselves right now. And just just before you say, what happened to me? How did I get like this? I'd have never spoke to people like this years ago. I'd I'd have never treated my wife, my husband like this. I I didn't criticize people like this years ago. I wouldn't have looked at this stuff years ago. I pray they just bow their hearts right now and say, Jesus, I need help. This heart needs to be healed and restored and made new. I want to praise you that a tender heart is one of the greatest gifts we can ever have from you. Thank you that you make all things new. Thank you that you restore the heart. And I want to praise you and thank you that you are the sole source of hope in this earth. And you bring hope back to those who've dropped their heads. What a great day it is when by the grace of God, we can lift our heads again and say, God is for me. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified. In his precious, priceless name we pray, amen. And amen. Thank you for hearing my prayer, dear Jesus. Let's celebrate something real quick. Tony and Brenda Thompson, 51 years together. That is a long time right there. I'm going to tell you right now, that is 
That is just wonderful. Hey, do something for me. Right here. Miracle Nights. Friends of mine have decided since people won't come to church, we'll take them to the mall. The first Tuesday night of every month, I got some friends who are setting up shop at the Holly Hill Mall where the little animals are at, where you can get in them little animals and ride them. And they've, they've rented a little place. They got a place there and they're just praying for people there. So if you got folks that need prayer, especially physical sickness, you got folks that need prayer, take them there. If they, if they won't come to church, take them to the mall. And these friends of mine there, they're going to be praying for people right here in your bulletin. And uh, God's blessed these people to have answered prayer in a lot of great areas. So we're going to use them. And, and we just... We've got to go you there for one to the highways and hedges. If people won't come in here, we'll go out there. So if you need prayer, you know folks that need them, take them. Send them over there and say, do this. And also, I, I want to do, I want to give the Outstanding Endurance Award of the Year to Sharon Faulkner. 47 years with Ed. My God have mercy. Congratulations. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you what. Y'all don't know who she is. When you get to heaven, you'll know her. She'll have many crowns stacked up there. <laughs> uh, we got the greatest folks in the world. Ed and Sharon lead our grief share here and do a wonderful job. Started it and helped so many folks. And I am so grateful. All righty. Before we leave, do, do you want to turn and ask her to forgive you now or do you want to wait till you get home? <laughs> wait till you get home. Be more fun. All right. Let's stand and be dismissed. Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you and thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy in our lives. We always stand amazed at how much you love us. We're just always stunned by the fact that you would care so much for people who run from you so hard. But I praise you and thank you for the goodness of God. You have given us everything. And we just pause as we begin this new week. We worship our way into this new week to say thank you for the goodness of God in our lives and to praise you and to bless you. Thank you for the mercy of the Lord. I thank you for every person that's here today. I praise you that the word of God is the seed that went into people's hearts today and it would be life-changing forever. I declare it in the strong name of Jesus, I pray, amen.